Welcome to Radio KAL, the Superman podcast brought to you by supermanhomepage.com. This is show number 128, released on August 26, 2015. My name is Steve Eunice, and uh, I'm joined by my good friend Scotty V. But before I say hello to him, I should also make mention that this show is generously sponsored by our very nice benefactor, Patrick O'Neill. Hey, Scotty. Hello, Steve and everyone. How's everything going? Going well. Uh, things are starting to warm up a little bit here in Australia at the, the final uh, stretch of winter, heading into spring. So I guess for you, is things are starting to cool down a bit maybe, or no? Well, we've had mostly a, a overall kind of a cool summer season anyway, mm-hmm. but uh, we, we uh, you know, we're, we're still fairly warm, but not uh, unbearable. I wouldn't say we're in the cooling season yet at least it doesn't seem to be um, any different than really it has been but uh yeah we're we're we got another month before summer i guess officially ends but um it's still it's about medium i'll say it's comfortable yes (laughs) well uh this month seemed to go pretty quick uh what august had just looking at the calendar we one two three yeah it's been four weeks since our last podcast it just seems to have come around a lot quicker Everything seems to be going quickly. I mean, my whole life just flies by. <laughs> Flashing by your eyes. We're going to talk about some movies today. I haven't had time to watch them, get them, look at them. There's no money. There's no time. There's nothing. And I'm working more than I have been, and I still have no money. It's just crazy. Uh, what can you do? Well, I guess we should get into our discussion topics. And uh, as always, we start with movie news. And there's been a little bit around about Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice, and a possible or the upcoming Justice League movie with some rumours and things. <clears throat> Let's start off with this very interesting rumour or story, if you like, from Michael Shannon, who, as you know, played General Zod in Man of Steel. And we saw in the trailer for Batman v Superman that his dead body is being wheeled along behind Mercy Graves. And, uh, you know, they open up the, the, the black body bag, if you like, unzip it, and there's his pale face. But... Beyond that, you didn't think that Michael Shannon would be involved in Batman v Superman. I actually thought maybe that was just CGI, that you know you just use the actor's likeness for uh, that scene and they wouldn't necessarily bring him back to actually star in Batman v Superman in any capacity. But he tells this very interesting story about um, his hands. <laughs> yes, um, flippers. <laughs> I, I guess he's being turned into a dolphin for the film. <laughs> Now, to, uh, to uh, clarify what we're talking about, he says uh, in an interview with Vulture.com that uh, he, he says, I was in my costume and I couldn't use my fingers because in the sequel I have flippers instead of hands. So I had these wax flippers on my fingers and I couldn't open the door and I could hear Zack Snyder, the director, being like, where's Shannon, where the F is he? And the whole crew was standing around and I was like knocking on the door with my flippers, let me out of here. Fortunately, Shannon had his personal superhero in the craft service guy who doesn't have the best craft service, according to Shannon. He says, I was actually, uh, he was actually paying attention to what was going on. He came over and he opened the door for me. Otherwise, I would have gotten fired, obviously joking there. But um, flippers is on his hands, these wax things. I'm guessing maybe it's some kind of uh, prosthetic uh, CGI thing, maybe like a, what he wore, motion capture, something for that idea in regards to maybe his... Hands have been removed, the body has been... Uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. 
Um, but... Well, first, uh, let's see if that craft services guy is as quick to come to his aid next time now that he has said he's not uh, doing his craft services job too well. Uh, but apparently he's a better hero than he is a uh, craft services man, according to Shannon. Or maybe he was just making a joke there. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know why he would have flippers covering his hands. Now, not to add fuel to the flame, but it sounds like most people seem to think that somehow they're going to turn Zod's body into a version of Doomsday. I mean, I would hate that personally, so I hope that that isn't the case. But other than that, I really don't know what else they would be doing with the body of Zod. Um, Obviously, Lex has plenty of interest in Kryptonians. He always has. And I could see him certainly doing scientific experimentation for any number of reasons and possibly somehow resurrecting Zod in some capacity, but I'm not sure what that would have to do with him having flippers, as you said. Yeah, um, whether he's using this, the word flippers, meaning that he just had his hands covered with these glove things that, are, you know, not necessarily flippers as in, you know, uh, a dolphin, as you say, or, you know, uh, some kind of cross um, DNA thing with an Atlantean, maybe. <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, yeah, it would seem to be more kind of maybe, as you say, um, something they use for motion capture, uh, the fact that his hands aren't being shown for some reason, uh, green, like, you know, green socks for uh, Scoot McNary, that kind of thing. But very interesting that he actually is involved in any capacity in Batman v Superman, other than his dead body being uh, there on the on that uh, in that body bag, so obviously he returned for some uh, thing more than just lying there on a table. Um, he yeah. says he hasn't seen the trailer either, so he doesn't know what he is in the trailer. He says I could be a toaster or a Porsche. I don't know, uh, which would obviously he's, he's got tongue in cheek, firm, firmly tongue in cheek there. But um, I'm guessing that's why he thinks that's why I'm leading towards the whole green screen motion capture thing is because obviously there's he doesn't know what he is meaning that there's obviously going to be some computer generated graphics involved yeah or he's just not wanting to tell us what's going on i mean if you remember uh, several months ago there was a shot of henry cavill and michael shannon released apparently around the set of batman v superman and the big thing then was no 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 he just happened to be at a party afterwards or somewhere nearby and that's right uh, he was uh at a new york he was in uh wherever he was he was uh, doing a stage production locally so everyone just assumed that he was they were just catching up because they were in the same location all right so who knows what's true and what's you know they obviously didn't want it to get out that he was going to be in. It was never announced that he was cast in Batman v Superman. It, it hasn't been really mentioned in any of the uh, synopsises of various that I've read. I didn't read the big one that everyone said sounded pretty good because I'd rather be surprised, but it was kind of a secret. So now the fact that we saw him in the trailer, obviously we know that the character's body is in the movie, but to what capacity is Michael Shannon in? And as you say, I don't think he would come on board just to... lay there and then not be in anything else although kevin costner who was also involved in man of steel and whom i would like to see in some flashback capacity as we move forward here would be thrilled if he ended up showing up in the uh batman v superman movie here much like michael shannon although i think it's getting harder and harder to hide things Mm. like that Mm. was also a dead body in the first movie he appeared in and his part actually got cut Mm. but he actually did play uh a dead body in a coffin. So I guess that kind of thing does happen, although at this point, 
Michael Shannon is probably a little more of an established actor than Costner was back then. So mm -hmm. I don't really think that uh, Shannon is just going to be lying around uh, unless he thought it would be fun to do. But then, the, then, then you have the flippers thing, and I. Obviously, I'm not on set, and I know real people use effing and 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 curse, and uh, obviously you you say a word and and uh, out spews ampersands and quotes <laughs> and different symbols of, from the keyboard, uh, what we write in an article, uh, but it seems a little. I don't know. I'm not sure why somebody would need to be yelling, where the F is this person? I mean, you've worked with them before. You're professionals, aren't you? Uh, but maybe he was just joking. or We don't know the context of yeah. it, but it it, uh, it startled me a little bit that that, um, that was the re revelation he wanted to give about Zack Snyder as a director <laughs> on set, that he was yelling and cursing about where one of his actors was. But um, I, I think, guess uh, he was gone for a long time. Yeah. And then uh, might have been like, did someone kidnap him or kill him? Where the F is he? Could have been something <laughs> along those lines. I think Zack Snyder uses a lot of that uh, kind of uh, words, a lot of those words in his uh, normal everyday speech. I I've heard him a number of times in interviews uh, just let out a, a curse word here or there just as part of his normal conversation. So it wouldn't, oh, be yeah. su I mean, it's a wouldn't surprise I mean, me. It's a word people use. Yeah. Just in the context as it was written, it does seem it seems like he was very stressed out about the fact that he couldn't find his actor but uh, if they were ready to film and he was trapped in a bathroom i guess that could get a little nerve-wracking but uh who the heck knows it's a weird story it's crazy. it is it's very weird uh so moving on we uh have uh another rumor that uh, was started by heroic hollywood uh about um lex luthor and the reasons why uh he and superman uh, why Superman really uh, is teed off at Lex in this upcoming movie. And the rumor is that uh, Lex will kidnap Martha Kent. Now, I don't know whether or not this one is true. And I kind of lean towards a no, even though um, El Mayimbe is kind of well known and uh, well regarded for his rumors and his scoops and things, uh, even if he's um, the one touting his own prowess at doing that. Um, there seems to be the whole secret identity thing mixed up in this that kind of has gone by the wayside. The fact that if Lex does kidnap Martha Kent, then doesn't that mean that Lex knows that Clark Kent is Superman and wouldn't he just out that to the rest of the world? I know there are a lot of fans that say, well, who doesn't know that Clark is Superman in Man of Steel? He pretty much told them, you know, he eliminated 50, whatever, of the states because he told them that he lives in, grew up in Kansas. So he pretty much... Uh, pinpointed exactly where he is to the government, but uh, I, you know, I think that's just being nitpicking. Well, I think uh, I was going to mention that if you look at the site, the Superman homepage, where you have this posted, you'll see, I don't know, 50 or some comments, and uh, among them, probably 90% are talking about how, well, everybody knows who he is. It's obvious. Um, he told us where he lived. He, you know, he made it pretty clear, and and of course, they have Pete Ross, and, and Lois found out very easily, and didn't really have to do too much uh, investigating in order to find out uh, that Clark had these powers. But it is possible, uh, I would think, that once you point out the fact that you grew up in a uh, fairly small town, and uh, there were all these events of people getting their lives saved and that sort of thing, and several people in that town know that you have these powers, that it wouldn't be too hard for 
the government with the resources that this government has in the fact that they are unsure whether they can trust him. And they have satellites, uh, as evidenced by the end of Man of Steel, that he had to take one out, checking him out and looking for him and trying to find him, that it might not be that hard for people to know. So Lex Luthor, who also has incredible resources and is um, very resourceful himself, just with his mind and his planning and all that sort of thing, could certainly and has many times in the comics discovered Superman's identity. Mm. So could he do that? Yes. Kidnapping Martha Kent seems a little bit, I don't know, mustache twirling to me. So I kind of hope that that's not the case, much like I hope that it's not Michael Shannon being turned into Doomsday. Um, It just seems... And also... And, and and maybe the first picture we got released of Lex that looked like he was in an orange jumpsuit uh, was of him going to jail at the end of the movie. I think that would be a terrible use of a new introduction of Lex Luthor sending him to jail right away because I find him at his most powerful when he's ruling the city from behind the scenes doing bad things, but nobody but Superman and maybe other heroes know it, but they can't prove it and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. And he sort of keeps manipulating things to his own uh, good uh, as he does that whereas if he kidnaps someone like anybody martha kent in this case i would think as soon as that would be the proof i mean he has her there he clearly kidnapped her he'd go to jail mm. yeah and i, I mean I, I understand the whole thing about people you know about the secret identity i know those two spaceships landed right at the kent farm and the police dropped lois off there and, and they'd be invested in, and they were tracking those two ships so they'd be wanting to know uh, where they landed and why they were bothering this fam, this this woman, this farming woman, and so I understand that there's probably a lot of, uh, you know, information there that Lex could catch on to to put two and two together. Um, I mean, Lois did, so why not Lex? But um, yeah, I I don't know where this one's coming from. I don't know where there's any truth to it. But uh, like you, I think that would be kind of beneath Lex a little bit to not beneath him, but just too simple. A plan. He seems to be wanting to be these big grandiose kind of schemes. Uh, I was like, I'm going to kidnap Polly Purebred, and you can't stop me, underdog. Yeah, ha ha ha. Just doesn't seem. Uh, I don't know. Doesn't yeah. seem relaxed. No, it doesn't seem befitting of Lex. But um, we'll wait and see. Uh, again, we can all these rumors. We can only report on them and give our own opinions on them. And then uh, down the track, once we've seen the movie, once more information comes out, we'll be able to uh, look back and say which ones were true, which ones were on the money, which ones were totally false and fabricated. So we'll wait and uh, make a judgment on that one moving forward. Now, that's pretty much all we've got with Batman v Superman at the moment. Um, You know, we're obviously waiting for the months to go by for more stuff to come out, more trailers, more information, more photos, what have you. But um, after um, uh, Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice, we know there are two Justice League movies that Zack Snyder is going to be directing. But we haven't had much talk about whether or not there'll be standalone Superman films. And John Schnepp, who I've spoken to and I've met in person now, who was the director of the uh, feature-length documentary on the Never Made Superman Lives film um, on a couple of podcasts in the last couple of weeks, has uh, let drop that he has inside information somehow that George Miller, the director of uh, Mad Max Fury Road, is in line to direct a sequel to Man of Steel, a standalone Superman film uh, that in the next couple of years sometime. Um, your thoughts? 
Well, I think it's a little odd that this would kind of come out of left field from someone who's not really involved in any way, as far as I know. As you say, he had something to do with the unmade Superman Lives film, but what does that mean in terms of him having the ability to get unknown knowledge and then speak about it? And and without Warner Brothers officially coming out and announcing it, or without there even being talk of there being Man of Steel films down the wire. We assumed that there should be or that there would be or we hoped that there could be, but uh, many people seemed to think it doesn't look like there are going to be since they're not part of the official announcements. We're hearing a lot about Batman. We obviously know about the Justice League. We know Wonder Woman's coming. Um, you know, the whole big story release that that, uh, that Ben Affleck is going to do three standalone uh, movies and uh, with Batman and, and, of course, that that rumor that was dropped that Batman is going to be the center of the DC movie universe and that these three movies are going to show that everything else revolves around him, which, of course, broke my heart once again. But who knows what's true and what's not and who's saying this? That was another inside source. I don't think it actually came out officially that that's what's going on. And then in this case, George Miller directing a Man of Steel sequel that hasn't even been announced and isn't even on the slate seems a little unlikely but i mean it excites me if that if there's a possibility i don't know much about george miller i know you say he directed uh fury road which i did not see and had no interest in seeing it looked like it was just a uh what people complain man of steel was just an explosion action-oriented film with not a lot of story and maybe that's unfair of me because i did not see it but that's certainly what they were showing us in the previews and i just didn't have any interest in seeing that uh but i guess he was involved with the never made justice league mortal film Mm -hmm. as well so it's kind of cool that they're kind of going back to the well and saying we were going to give you a chance before and it fell through and we like you so maybe we'll bring you on board and do this so from george miller's standpoint if i were he i would probably be I'd probably be super stoked if that's what's going on. Uh, but I think we need to wait and see uh, if it even gets announced that there's going to be a Man of Steel sequel. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, there is some hope there. Obviously, uh, Henry Cavill's up for it. And uh, there's been some talk about that there will be a standalone film for both Batman and Superman at some stage, although they haven't been announced, as you said, as far as an official slate, uh, like some of the other films, The Flash and um, uh, Wonder Woman and um, Green Lantern and those that have been uh, put into a list of some kind between now and 2020. But we hope that there would be a Superman film uh, somewhere uh, in that uh, in that time space. And if George Miller is in line to direct that, then I think a lot of fans would be uh, uh, very keen on that. Uh, some of the... Um, praise that was heaped on him from Mad Max Fury Road, especially in regards to the action sequences and, and the fact that he used a lot of um, you know, uh, in-camera effects and live action effects rather than doing t- too much CGI uh, was um, very interesting. Uh, he is an Australian director and, uh, as you say, was in line to do Justice League Mortal before that fell through. He's obviously ha- very well known for doing Happy Feet and many other films along the way, so he's very diverse in his styles, uh, he did uh, the big film um, Australia with uh, Hugh Jackman and Nicole Kidman a number of years ago. That was pretty big here uh, in Australia. So, uh, yeah, I would be on board if that was indeed the case. Uh, but as you say, we don't know whether or not there is a Superman standalone film, let alone whether or not George Miller is involved. Um, where John Schnepp has this information from, 
whether in all these digging that he has done for uh, the death of Superman Lives, what happened, his documentary, he found and stumbled upon some information that uh, you know has some inside uh, information and, and contacts that uh, let slip that you know, he's the number one choice for it. Um, we don't know. Uh, maybe we get a chance to talk to John again and get him to clarify that. I don't know, believe he would reveal his sources, but um, he does seem a kind of... Uh, you know, a guy connected. So wait and see. It's a very interesting rumour, uh, you know, and uh, again, we have no way of uh, confirming or denying it at this point in time. Now, you did mention that uh, Henry Cavill seems to be interested and would be on board. And I did want to say, for the most part, he's been super stoked about being Superman. He talks highly of the character. And as I or you would say, if we had the opportunity to work on Superman or be Superman or be involved in the movie, we'd say, who wouldn't want to be? Mm. Um, so more so than lots of other actors who get to play superheroes, he seems to be very interested in, in uh, keeping the character going and very interested in being associated. You know, a lot of times you hear, uh, I don't want to get typecast as this superhero. I need mm. to move on to th other things. And maybe someday he'll feel that way. But right now, I really love the way he's presented himself in terms of being associated with Superman and being Superman and saying things like, I'm Superman. What's mm. not to like about that? Yep. But on the same token, it disappoints me a little that even Henry Cavill, who is Superman, as he himself has said, still seems to fall into the category of people who really don't get the idea that Superman can be interesting to a regular human person. Superman can have a lot of depth of emotion, can can have a lot of humanity, can have a lot of interesting stories, and has had a lot of interesting stories told about him for uh, over 80 years now. So to hear him say and kind of just go along with the rhetoric that Superman's just not that interesting, that Batman's way more interesting than Superman, that lots of people would just really rather see other heroes and not this godlike being because they just can't re you know, they can't associate with it and they can't get behind it and they can't understand it. It, it just, it, it bugs me that, that that just seems to be the same attitude we get from everyone, even the guy who is so excited about playing the character. Well, uh, I didn't hear anything from him in in that uh i'm looking at a couple of interviews from recently and he's you know he's talking about he says it's a wonderful role there's a huge potential there for complex storytelling i'm looking forward to exploring those avenues come on it's superman you can't be pissed off at the idea of playing superman for the rest of your life he says um uh, people think kryptonite can beat him no the only thing that can really beat superman is superman his own noggin messing with him, his own moral choices. When you have that to start with, the storytelling can really drive into something rich. Um, is there an interview that I missed that he says? So there was one. It was uh, it was during the time when they were speaking of uh, man of uh, Batman v Superman not being a uh, sequel to Man of Steel, and uh, he mentions that there aren't any plans that he would love to be involved with one. But I think uh, the reason he thinks that that's not happening right away and, and the reason that they're doing Batman v Superman and that this is really a Batman origin story or a Batman introduction to the universe and Superman's kind of just a plot point that's what all that stuff kind of annoyed me and hopefully is slightly untrue or maybe he's just not you know he doesn't want to be completely forthcoming with what's going on but in in those those passages there was mention as to why it's so hard for people to accept Superman as a character and uh, and why Batman is uh, so much more interesting to many people. Mm, okay, well, and as I was just reading another one here from, I think it's Men's Health or Men's Fitness magazine. He says, um, 
he seems uh, like he's saying he seems very territorial over man over the Man of Steel and his story. He says, "I have no power over the script." He says, "Chris Terrio is a very good writer. There's so much that can be done with Superman. The Batman story is easy. He's dark and brooding and dangerous. Superman, I believe, can be a better story, but it requires ten times the effort to get it right." All I can do is keep my fingers crossed that the big cheeses at the top care as much about the character as I do. So maybe along those lines, he thinks Batman's an easier character to write, but he still thinks that Superman could be can be better, uh, be a better better story than the Batman story. Well, this might be it right here. Um, Batman v Superman, not a Man of Steel sequel, says Henry Cavill. Um, just about to get to that point. As for the individual, there's not a Superman more of an introduction. There's plenty of time. He's a tough character to sell. People like the darker vigilante. I think it speaks to the human psyche more easily rather than the godlike being that we really can't understand. Once we have a more expansive universe, we can delve more into the character of Superman and hopefully tell more stories. Now, everything you're saying is what I had said before. I love the way he speaks of Superman. I love that he wants to be involved. And I love that after this particular quote, he seems to be behind the idea that Superman can be very interesting. But this, which came first, is him saying that people just like a darker vigilante and uh, people can speak to th that type of character speaks to humanity more easily than the godlike being that we don't understand. And he is even saying he seems like he's on board with the idea that we need to build the movie universe before we can be allowed to expand on the character of Superman. Mm -hmm. and, and maybe that's just him from a standpoint of accepting reality and understanding that he may not be the center of the DCU universe. But this is a quote from uh, Entertainment Weekly for mm -hmm. the uh, Man of Steel cover story, the, the uh, Batman v Superman uh, cover, where they uh, talked about how it's not a Man of Steel sequel. Yeah, from that I took the the indication that he was just speaking about the public in general, how that the public seems to be more attached to the darker heroes, and that they seem to be it seems to be an easier sell to the movie going public than Superman is. Not that Superman is a lesser character, but that he's harder to sell to the public because just the way of the society is at the moment, uh, they have they kind of lean towards the darker anti-heroes. Uh, than they do to the to the lighter characters, and so for some reason the uh, the powers that be have a hard time selling that concept or telling that story because they always want to, seem to want to make Superman an edgier or darker character to try to um, pander to the tastes of the s society in general. But uh, I don't think you need to do that with Superman. I don't think that he necessarily even believes that himself. I just no. think it's I, I think it's sad that. He goes along with that rhetoric as opposed to saying himself, uh, plenty of people connect with Superman and I've been oh, yeah, around the world, you know, doing publicity for Man of Steel and, and uh, see Superman shirts everywhere and see Superman fans everywhere. And there are a lot of people who love this character as opposed to just falling in line with the Batman's the best uh, kind of mindset. Sure. That, uh, yeah, fair enough. Um, so, well, let's uh, see what uh, else comes out. In regards to this upcoming, hopefully standalone Superman movie moving forward, uh, we'd like to see more Superman films. Uh, obviously, Superman's going to be involved with Batman v Superman and the two Justice League movies that come out. And there was even a quote from uh, Henry Cavill saying that while he hasn't got any cameo in the upcoming Suicide Squad movie, that you never know he might make an appearance in any follow-up films of uh, any of the DC Universe kind of tie-in movies. Uh, so. We'll wait and see uh, just how much Henry Cavill is out and about in the Superman costume for upcoming DC Universe movies. 
But uh, we look at to other films that are out and about at the moment. Uh, I finally got to see the Justice League Gods and Monsters animated movie this past week. And um, while initially when it came out, the whole concept seemed to be something that I was, you know, opposed uh, um, to. Uh, you know, the whole idea of having another dark version of Superman being you know, Zod's son, having a vampire Batman, having a Wonder Woman who's a new god, all those kind of things just seemed like, really, do we need these alternate versions? But the more and more I read and saw of this, the clips, the chronicles, the uh, comic book that ties into it, uh, it's a very rich world and a very interesting world that uh, Bruce Timm has created and explores. And while it's not your average Superman, Batman and Wonder Woman movie, uh, there, it's a very uh, interesting dynamic and character study of different versions of these, of these characters that uh, I think you can still get on board with and enjoy for what it is without, you know, without thinking, oh, you know, why do we have to have darker versions of these characters? It's a very interesting character study, and I was quite, uh, quite impressed and entertained by it. I saw one of the, I saw all three of the shorts that came out. I don't right. know if they were the Chronicles you yes, were talking that's about. Right. Uh, and I thought that the Superman one was the best one of those three. Yes. And I thought that he was very Superman-like. He did do something in the end where he kind of felt he had to um, that maybe you would think Superman wouldn't do. But it was still a very kind of a selfless and or kind of a sacrificial to his own well-being act that had to be done in order to save everyone else. And as far as a Superman standpoint of not killing and that sort of thing, doing it, though, at the sacrifice to your own self and to your own emotions uh, is very Superman-like when you know that it's the only way to save the world, uh, knowing that you're doing something that goes against the very idea of what you are and what you think and how you feel. So while I didn't see the movie, I... I uh, I did. I did like that, and I like the idea of that. Now I don't know if he then gets darker and darker after that event happens, uh, and therefore it, he becomes more toward the dark side, as they say, or or what the situation is there. I mean, hopefully not, because it does seem like a very interesting character, as you say, uh, the way they presented in the film. Yeah. No. It's um. There. They definitely all three characters definitely walk the a fine line between. Being heroes and being, um, you know, setting themselves up as rulers, kind of thing. It's like, you know, how far, where does that, where is that line, and how, how many times do you step either side of it to, to put yourself in a position of power or a position of being a hero, and um, it's a very interesting, as I say, character study for the three um, characters: Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman in this version, in this reality. So, well worth seeing if uh, you're interested in in you know, a bit of a more in-depth look at um, what makes these characters who they are and uh, how you know, something uh, slightly different happening to them or how they're created uh, has a bearing on, how, on the outcome of who they are and who they become. So well worth having a look at. Uh, Justice League Gods and Monsters, the animated movie. Awesome. Now, uh, another movie that I saw this past month since our last podcast recording was that documentary I spoke about earlier, The Death of Superman Lives, What Happened, uh, created by John Schnepp, uh, the film about the Tim Burton, Nicolas Cage, Superman movie of the mid to late 90s that uh, never happened. And a wealth of information is out there, as we know, pictures of Nicolas Cage, footage of Nicolas Cage trying on the costumes and having costume fittings and uh, the designers and artists and prop 
makers and you know so much work. Uh, I think it was like two years of work went into uh, all the uh, pre-production stuff, and then the plug got pulled. Uh, Warner Brothers got a bit uh, anxious about their box office takings for a lot of other films that happened around the same time. And rather than take a risk with something that, like Superman Lives, they decided uh, to um, you know, count their losses and, and just move on to something a bit more substantial, a bit more box office uh, promising. And so uh, I was just looking at the documentary. Uh, it's a two-hour documentary. I got to see it here in, a, in Australia in a special uh, premiere screening where John Schnepp, uh, the director, creator, and Holly Hunter, Holly Hunter, Holly Payne, the um, the producer and his partner, uh, came out for a Q and A to show the film. Uh, they were very entertaining themselves. Spent about two hours afterwards with a Q and A with everyone watching it. Uh, got the Blu-ray. Uh, got some posters that he signed. That they signed for us as well. Uh, well, I haven't had a look at the Blu-ray because the behind the scenes of the Blu-ray has like eight hours of extra stuff, bonus material, and things that didn't get put into the final cut of the documentary it is an amazing and just mind-blowing time period for not just superman fans to look at what could have been but just hollywood to look behind the scenes of the curtain of hollywood and seeing how films get made and don't get made as the case is in this one and how much effort and time and money went into it there was one particular um artist uh, who uh, gave up working on the matrix to work on Superman Lives, obviously not knowing what The Matrix would end up becoming and not knowing what Superman Lives would not become. But, uh, you know, people gave up a lot, lot of their lives and a lot of their time and effort uh, to work on this film and uh, it just got yanked and uh, there's a wealth of information out there and material for, for us fans now to look at and say, wow, what could have been? Well, I'd like to. I definitely want to see that one as well. And I, I, I wasn't as against the whole idea as what I hear a lot of fans say as mm-hmm. far as Nicolas Cage being Superman, that sort of thing. I remember at the time when it was first announced, saying Nicolas Cage, really, uh, what hairpiece is he going to wear this time? Um, but I, I, I then went back and I, I looked at a movie where he was. Um, an Air Force pilot of some kind, and he had glasses on, and he was in a uh, kind of a, a briefing situation. And I didn't watch the movie, but just looking at that scene, seeing how his hair was cut, seeing how he was in a uniform as a, as a, uh, uh, a flight officer, that sort of thing, I said, I maybe could see this. Um, see him being Superman. And then, of course, we uh, obviously now we've seen this Death of Superman Lives documentary and we see the crazy directions Tim Burton and, 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 and company seem to be going with the costumes and the glowy stuff and different sorts of designs and characters and things. And it's sort of way out there in terms of what you would expect from a Superman movie. But I, I, I certainly think it would have been interesting to see. Mm, it would have been a visual spectacular. It just would have been like there would have been creatures and monsters and and things that we would never have seen before, and and you know the the color palette itself would have been something that you know totally unique. Um, the that glowy costume thing that you know everyone's seen the lights going through that would have been seen for thirty seconds of the film they revealed. Like that's how much time and effort was spent on it. But it would have been all of thirty seconds in a regeneration chamber or something like that that it would have been seen. It wasn't a costume that he would have been actually going around in. It was just part of the regeneration chamber that you know, after he dies and comes back that uh these lighting things would have been used for you know as a kind of a, a a bit of a sequence to show him coming out of the regeneration chamber but um that just goes to show the attention to detail that these artists and, and creators were putting into 
this film. And uh, it's interesting that Colleen Atwood, who is now the costume designer for Flash and Arrow and Supergirl, is uh, was behind the costumes uh, for Superman Lives and has, was you know involved with superhero stuff way back then. Um, and to hear her talk, and uh, but I, I think definitely the person who steals the show is John Peters. Uh, him talking and the way it connects with other people's interviews is just hilarious. He <laughs> is unbelievably funny, but I don't think he's intentionally funny. Not, it, not purposely. Yeah. No, and it's it's really amazing the way to hear John Schnepp tell the story that they actually had the film cut and finished, ready to go before John Peters agreed to participate because they'd been looking up, you know, chasing him, chasing him, chasing him. And he finally agreed after all these other people had come out and sit and participated in interviews, thought, no, no, I want to have my say as well. And so the whole movie got, got not scrapped, but totally reorganized to put John Peters in. And he ended up being really the, the star of the show as far as these interviews are concerned, because a lot of the creators and artists talk about, John Peters, John Peters, John Peters, and then here he is telling the same stories that they're telling, but from his point of view, and it's oh my god, it's hilarious just to hear him talk. Because I mean, he's kind of like a clown, right? I mean, he's a joke. I've heard, <laughs> I've heard uh, the story from Kevin Smith so so many times. It's so funny if you haven't watched it on YouTube when he talks about trying to make this Superman movie with him that Kevin Smith was going to write. And I know people say Kevin Smith has no business writing a Superman story. I know fans had a hard time with that whole idea, but just the, the, the way John Peters just seemed to have no understanding of who Superman even was, his name, what planet he was from, what kryptonite was. I mean, just hilarious. Yeah, and, I and they, see how... they touch on that. Um, and because Kevin Smith is heavily involved in this uh, documentary as well as, you know, being interviewed, and he talks about that there were supposedly three things that he, Superman wasn't allowed to do. He wasn't allowed to fly. Uh, he, want, he wasn't allowed to... Uh, he wasn't to wear the costume... And he had to fight a giant spider. Uh And uh, John Peters denies all the first two things. He says, of course he has to fly Superman. Of course he has to have his costume. That's his his signature. He goes, but yes, I did want a giant spider in there. (laughs) (laughs) Well, he then put it in uh, Wild Wild West not long after that. Yes, that's right. And they talk about that. And it's it's funny. Uh, it, It really is worthwhile having a look at just for the insight into how these people... Uh, interact with each other so definitely worth checking out uh, if you haven't seen it go go get it uh, it is amazing insight into not just Superman and what could have been but into the way Hollywood works and as I say doesn't work I feel like this could have been a great Superman movie not necessarily greatly written not even greatly cast and maybe it would have been terrible but the idea that they were willing to have all these creatures and technology and monsters and effects and science fiction-y type stuff was one Mm. of the things i loved about man of steel because they took it they did some of that science fiction stuff they had the they had an invasion happening they had ships coming in they had uh, the whole thing on krypton and they had some creatures which we didn't get to see a lot of but the idea that even now, DC doesn't seem all that willing to, and, and maybe as we get into Justice League and stuff, we will see some of that. Marvel's all about it. Marvel has every type of monster, every type of mutant, every type of character, every type of superhero flying around, robots flying around attacking cities, aliens coming out of other dimensions, opening okay. in portals in the sky. To the fact, to the 
to the point where once we do introduce a Brainiac or a Dark Side and a portal opens up and they come through, they're just going to go, well, they copied that from the Avengers. <laughs> uh, even though they've been doing it in the comics for years and years and years, and Dark Side's always come by way of Boom Tube, and, and, and Brainiac shows up in ships that are shaped like a big head, and that happened in Guardians of the Galaxy already. And, and Marvel just, it does so well for them, and they don't seem to care that it's extremely far-fetched and fantastical, but DC still seems to kind of fear going outside of what could actually be on Earth. Even though they had aliens and even though they had an invasion story of Man of Steel, it was still very kind of grounded, which is great. I love the seriousness and the grounding and the uh, whole look of reality to it and the idea of how it would be if it actually went down. But how about how it would be if it actually went down if monsters came or mm. other aliens came? Aliens that don't look like people, aliens that have other powers, stuff like that. We've already seen Zod and Friends, and now we're seeing them again in Batman and V Superman in some capacity. Uh, and I'm not saying I didn't like seeing Zod, uh, but it's still that safe ground, that kind of, well, people understand that Kryptonians shoot lasers from their eyes and fly around, so let's just stay in that kind of safe territory mm. and retell a Zod origin story, as opposed to going outside of what we've already experienced on film and see some real aliens and real creatures and real technology and things that happen in Superman comics all the time, but we've never seen on film. And I think in this Superman Lives movie could have been that and more. It also could have been absolutely horrendous and campy and goofy. <laughs> Who knows? But the idea that they were willing to go there and seeing some of that artwork and, and just fantastical. And I really like the whole doomsday look and, and, and some of those creatures that were mm. flying around. It yeah, just, no. I, John, John Schnepp was uh, is of the opinion that it would have been an absolute hit and a cult classic, but uh, we're not to know. We can't. It's 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 all a matter of opinion now, and uh, we will never know, sadly. But uh, I think the movie has taken on a life of its own after its own death. So it's very interesting <laughs> the way that's happened. All right, uh, let's have a look at some stuff from the TV world. And Supergirl is getting closer and closer to its premiere on CBS. Uh, obviously, that takes place on Monday, October 26th, um, but uh, there have been a number of panels. There was a panel at um, Television Critics Association event earlier in uh, August, and uh, they announced that there'll be a number of characters coming to the first season of Supergirl. Uh, some of those uh, were like Lucy Lane, uh, there was um, uh, Reactron, uh, Maxwell Lord, um, Non, Red Tornado, uh, General Lane, Livewire. Uh, so a lot of these characters are going to be coming in the first season of Supergirl. It's very interesting and, and very exciting to have a lot of these ca DC characters coming into this first season of what I'm hoping is going to be a very successful season. Yeah, I think it's great that they're delving into all these comic book uh, characters, even though they're not necessarily always Supergirl-specific villains, and they are changing the origins, and they are changing some of the situations and, and how they came about and that sort of thing. But I, I love it. It's one of my favorite parts of, say, Arrow or, or Flash, when you hear names you recognize and when you see how they're going to use them and that they pulled them from the comics. And the fact that they're... You know, who knows how they're going to be presented in the show? Will they be called Reactron, Livewire, Hogramite, that sort of thing? Or will they just kind of be mentioned like Chloe on Smallville used to mention something or how on The Flash, uh, Goofy Boy uh, names all the villains in a goofy kind of way? Uh, or will they really be their, their full-blown version of themselves? But I love the idea that they're going to be present in some way, and I, I hope they don't go that route where they 
where they uh, finish them off or die or, or whatever at the end of their first appearances mm. like they do so often on superhero television. Well, let's go through some of these casting for some of these characters. Uh, we found out, you mentioned Reactron. Uh, he's um, going to be played by actor Chris Browning, who's been in Sons of Anarchy and The 100. And uh, the character he's uh, going to be playing is called Ben Kroll, a.k.a. Reactron. It says um, he will be in the third episode of the season, and, but he could come back for a recurring role. And um, that comes on the back of another announcement, which I think we might have spoken about previously, which was Peter Facinelli being cast as Maxwell Lord. Mm-hmm. Yes, I love that. So that's uh, Chris Browning's role as Reactron. The other one that uh, was announced was Britt Morgan being cast as Livewire. And uh, uh, she's obviously otherwise known as Leslie Willis who, uh, in this version of the character, is a confident, abrasive and funny shock jock who works for Catco Media, the conglomerate owned by Cat Grant. When an accident makes her as dangerous and shocking as her words, Supergirl must stop her. So uh, that's uh, very similar to, I guess, her way Livewire came about in Superman the Animated Series. Yes, and if people don't know, uh, this much like uh, the Joker's girlfriend, Harley Quinn, uh, was only created for the animated series of yes. the, uh, you know, the Bruce Timm uh, animated universe, Superman the Animated Series back in the 90s. And uh, she then has made since appearances on other programs and other uh, media, such as the comics. But uh, the first time she ever appeared, created only for the animated show. And now here we're going to have her in uh, live action. And I think that that's great. And, you know, on the animated show, she was this shock jock sort of thing. She was kind of a, a brat. And uh, Superman had to, and, you know, much like Superman had to stop her on that show, we've got pretty almost sounds like the same exact story hmm. uh, where Supergirl is going to have to deal with her here. Yeah, and, and maybe she's anti-Supergirl the way she was in anti-Superman in Superman the Animated Series talking about, you know, Supergirl in that uh, snarky kind of way. So it'll be interesting to see if that is the way it plays out. Uh, and then we had, uh, you mentioned Hel Gramite, a uh, comic book character, uh, is going to be played by a guy who, his name kind of caught me off guard and I thought it was a typo, I wasn't sure how it was, but his name is actually Justice Leak. And, yes. <laughs> um, he has been on the Vampire Diaries and Powers, and uh, as you and I know, Helgramite is actually entomologist Roderick Rose in the comics, who, thanks to some experimentation, is transformed into the insect-like villain who draws his name from the actual bug called Helgramite. Um, and uh, so he'll be appearing in an upcoming uh, episode of the first season of Supergirl as well. Yeah, when I read this guy's name, I said his name is Justice Leak. <laughs> That's pretty cool that you're going to be on a superhero series and your name is Justice Leak. That's great. <laughs> yeah, very interesting name. I wonder if his parents intentionally, you know, knowing that it sounded like Justice League, uh, called this name Justice Leak. Uh, very <laughs> interesting. Uh, another casting announcement was uh, the, uh, the role of Cat Grant's son, and that will be played by Levi Miller. And he uh, is probably best known for playing Pan. Peter Pan in the Pan Origin movie uh, that was only just out in uh, theatres a couple of months ago. Uh, Miller is set to make his debut on Supergirl in episode four. And uh, in this version of the of uh, Cat Grant's his son, his 12-year-old Carter Grant, uh, he's sensitive and shy and couldn't be more different from his mum. 
um, as Melissa Benoist, uh, well, as Kara, babysits uh, her boss's son and gets to know him better. Carter finally opens up to her, revealing his true feelings for Supergirl. Uh, what that means, why a 12-year-old boy would have true feelings for Supergirl, I'm not sure what's going on there. It sounds a bit freaky. Pre- uh, I don't know. <laughs> but um, it, it's not um, the character as in Adam Morgan, as, as in the comic books, who Cat uh, Grant's son was uh, famously murdered by the toy man in the comic books. Uh, this is a different version of the character, and even though we have Winslow shot in Supergirl... Um, Maybe it doesn't bode well down the track for this kid, but uh, we don't know. At this stage, it's uh, it's a different character altogether. Uh, I did want to mention that the Pan movie hasn't come out yet. I just oh did a really look because it, oh, it doesn't okay. come out until October. I've seen it advertised. Uh, I didn't so think it had been months. out, but yeah, it's uh, it's. Um, I don't know that I want to see it, but uh, I did. I did think when they announced this kid as playing Cat Grant's son, I thought, isn't he the guy from Pan? And uh, you mentioning it to me here got me to do a little research while you were speaking. You and uh, it'll be out in October for those of you who were like, oh, that came out already. I wanted to see that Peter Pan movie. <laughs> it's still coming. Don't worry. You can see it. Very good. Yeah, I'd seen it advertised and seen trailers and that. I just thought it, I assumed it had come out already. Um, but uh, there you go. It doesn't come out until October, which is the same month that Supergirl premieres. So uh, this kid's going to be uh, both on the big screen and the small screen on uh, pretty much the same time. But uh, So there are the characters that we've heard announced for Supergirl so far. We actually saw a photo of um, Melissa Benoist with Levi Miller uh, on the set uh, during filming. We've also seen some great photos of Melissa Benoist posing in the Supergirl costume with uh, some Girl Scouts. Uh, and who called the Supergirls of Oklahoma, I think they're called. And she just seems to be really reveling in this role and really taking it on board and, and being so proud of being in this role. I love her. I mean, seriously, uh, people have complained. People have said she doesn't look right. She has red hair. She has this, she has that. I think she looks great in the role. I think the costume looks great. We've seen her now uh, in, in several shots um, doing different things on set, different episodes being filmed, and maybe they're leaked photos that aren't supposed to be out, but but she just looks really great. She looks really happy. She looks really excited. She talks about how great it is to be playing this role model, how great it is to have a female, a strong, feminine character that, that, that girls can watch, and boys too, but, but that she can really, that they can look up to someone on TV that isn't, is that, that isn't corrupted, and that is that is not dark, and that is not scary, and uh, just the, I think it's great that she's embracing it so much, as you say, and, mm. and seeing her in those pictures with the Girl Scouts, eh, it was just great. Yeah, it is fantastic. So uh, well done to Melissa Benoist. It's great that she's embracing this role, and uh, we look forward to seeing the Supergirl series kick off on CBS Monday, October 26 at 8.30 p.m., and then it will move into its regular Monday 8 p.m. time slot uh, the following week. Uh, still have no word here in Australia when and what station it will be on, but uh, I'll let you know as soon as I know any of that information. All right, let's move into our comic book chatter. Um, we had uh, a very interesting, um, well, what would you call it, an interview, a turn of events. Uh, we had John Romita Jr. attend this uh, launch for the... Um, Book Superman, The Men of Tomorrow, the graphic novel launching uh, or collecting the uh, run of his with uh, Jeff Johns. And uh, that was on August 5th at Bryant Park in New York City. 
Uh, our own T.A. Ewart was uh, granted a few minutes with John for an exclusive one-on-one video interview. And in that interview, he asked him a very interesting and pertinent question about some of the comments that JRJR made in a USA Today interview in which he was quoted as saying, half of the fans will like what he's doing, half of them won't. He says, if they just drop the book because you changed something, then they're not good enough to please anyway. But you've got to look to change, and hopefully it'll be two-thirds liking it. Now, we asked him about that, quest- that quote about you know, saying that the fans aren't good enough to please anyway, and he was like a bit taken aback. We, we didn't ask him in a very... I mean, T.A. didn't... It wasn't aggressive, and he was just asking him if he could clarify what he meant in that. And um, John answered that into the video interview, but uh, obviously he wasn't pleased with the, the way he approached that or maybe got caught off guard a bit in his response. And so uh, we got, T.A. Hewitt got contacted a couple of days later after that video interview by John Romita Jr. Uh, wanting to do a follow-up chat to further clarify his position and uh, pretty much came out and said that you know he's, he thought that his uh, answer to USA today was a bit of a, a mush-mouth uh, response and that uh, he does, you know, that doesn't make sense what he said and wasn't pleased about how it came out. And he said, um, Superman is a character with over 75 years of history and while changes need to occur for obvious reasons, the uh, aforesaid can come across as cynical if not executed well. He says, if fans don't take to the changes made, then he says, we didn't do a good enough job to please them. I didn't do a good enough job to please them. So I think uh, he's kind of saved himself a little bit there in uh, his response and says he apologizes for that error. Well, there are a couple of ways you could look at this. Um, I still think it's some of the worst comic book art I've ever seen. That being said, um, whether he's writing on the name Romita and that's how he continues to get work or not, I don't know. But the idea that you would at least come out and kind of apologize for something that you said maybe um, out of turn or offhandedly or because you were upset because people have been giving you so much guff. I mean, I I can't imagine how it must feel to, I mean, everybody I talk to uh, gets slighted at every turn uh, for, for, for drawing the, the, the Superman comic book in such a sloppy way. Now, I've seen other released artworks, uh, Wolverine, other Marvel characters, and they don't look near as sloppy. Now, I don't know if those are just covers and maybe he has much more time and he's only doing the cover he doesn't have to worry about telling a story uh through pictures but the insides we've talked about this before just do not seem like they befit a guy who's supposed to be a professional artist but that being said you can say at least he was big enough to to admit that he he spoke uh, kind of um he didn't mention that he was emotional or that he was upset or that he was offended or that he he uh you know whatever but he did say he shouldn't have said it he, he is apologetic but the other way you can look at it is somebody got to him and said, listen, that was very negative. And, you, you, you know, you, people have marketing people and, and mm-hmm. handlers. And, of course, I'm sure DC is involved. And, you know, it's not that it's the same exact thing, but removing a certain artist that was supposed to tell a Superman story because he uh, came out against gay people or, or whatever his deal was back in, you know, when that Superman digital book mm. was being released not too long ago. Um, but but. So I don't know that he's really sorry. I don't know what the situation is, but at least he did say that he's apologetic and he did kind of restate it and then he did put the blame on himself if the people that he initially had had said weren't worth it didn't like what he did because he should be capable of making you like what's being done to change something that's been around for 75 years. And that makes a lot more sense 
Although you're not going to please everybody, and, and that's nah. a, you know it's a statement that's been said by everybody on Earth at one time or another. You can't please everybody all of the time, and sometimes you can't please anybody. Um, <laughs> so I don't think he's in an enviable position necessarily. Nor yeah. do I think any artist or writer uh, of something that's been around for so long that has such expectation is always in an enviable, enviable position. Even though we all feel like we'd love it if we got hired to write a Superman story or to write a Superman movie. You know, I always hear people say, if you're going to complain about something, why don't you go make one better? First of all, that's a bit of an oversimplification. It's not like you can just go make a Superman comic. Um, you have to somehow get involved. And he being involved or other artists being involved sometimes, I'm sure, get their feelings hurt just like anybody else. Mm. And he was probably feeling somewhat defensive and, and made some comments that he – maybe later on thought about and decided he shouldn't have made them. And the fact that T.A. brought it up, maybe he didn't even think of it until then. And then afterwards he said, yeah, maybe I shouldn't have said those things. And maybe it's completely on him and it was completely his idea to apologize. And I, I say if that's the case, good on him because, uh, you know, you could just stick by your, your what you said and just be stubborn and, and just not apologize. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that that would be uh, – that would – be a lesser thing to have done so i think it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a good step in the right direction to try and soothe some of the the people he might have upset by those comments yeah no i think it's a, a good thing for from his uh, side of things to come out like that and and try to you know clarify some of his comments and statements and uh but like you i'd like him to spend more time actually getting his artwork better <laughs> yeah <laughs> All right, uh, let's uh, move on to some other comic book stuff. Uh, a full description for a book that a lot of people are very much looking forward to is uh, has been released, and that was Superman American Alien number one. Now, this comic book is out on November 11th, uh, so still a little bit away, but um, it says Hollywood screenwriter and Eisner Award nominee Max Landis, who might have uh, many of you would know from Chronicle, the movie uh, American Ultra, and his book Right Time Writing Adventures of Superman, that digital comic that you just mentioned, joins forces with top comic artists including Jock, Francis Manipal, and Jay Lee to bring you Superman American Alien, a seven-issue miniseries chronicling the life of Clark Kent and his development into the archetypal hero he will eventually become. But these are not the stories of the iconic Superman as you know him but of the soft-spoken, charming, often funny Kansas farm boy behind the Man of Steel. With the tone of each issue ranging from heartwarming and simple to frighteningly gritty and violent to sexy, sun-kissed and funny, Superman American Alien is unlike anything you've seen before. In his first issue, superstar artist Nick Drugato, uh, or Drugata uh, from East West Fantastic Four illustrates the story of Jonathan and Martha Kent as they struggle to deal with their 12-year-old son's latest quirk He's been floating up into the air, sometimes hundreds of feet. Yeah, I mean that's something we've seen before. So I'm not, I'm not 100% certain where we're going with this book. Although it does sound interesting. I mean, I, I like something that's smart and sexy and funny and 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 dark and gritty and cool and awesome and adventurous and bright. And it sounds like it's everything. <laughs> it sounds like they're going for every possible <laughs> thing that you could go for to please maybe everyone all the time, like we were talking about. You can't do before. Um, I was just talking to someone earlier today because it was mentioned that uh, there was a picture that someone, I don't know if a fan made it or not, but it, it, it looked like Matthew Bomer as Superman in a comic book sort of drawing. And, a, and, the, and the thought bubble, the, the speech bubbles were uh, something to the like that 
he, he, Superman was saying he didn't have a great childhood. It wasn't very fun. He wasn't allowed to play any games. He was always sitting in his room watching other people have fun because people were afraid that his parents were afraid that he was going to hurt somebody. Now, that, of course, is a sad, darker take on Superman. And a lot of people that are fans of Superman say Superman doesn't need to be a sad character. It should be hopeful and happy. He mm. should embrace it. That was one of my problems with Smallville all the time, that it was so just well, he's made. angsty, angsty that, you know, he didn't like having powers and he didn't like who he was. And he was responsible with the meteor shower and everything. And, and there are different continuities where, depending on where you read, Superman gets his powers from the moment he arrives on Earth. Superman's fully grown in the very beginning, the first time we see him. You know, he came as a baby, but uh, we don't see any of that, and there's no parents or anything like that. And, and, and uh, you know, he just picks the name Kent randomly, which makes no sense. But I'm glad that Superman developed over the years. But then there are other times where he's an adult before he sees his powers, or he's in puberty before he sees his powers. So being that he's 12, it could be a puberty thing or around that area or it could just be random and in some stories as the, from the time he's a baby he's lifting his crib or juggling cows you know um so who knows where you're at and we've seen many many origin stories of superman birthright and the uh, secret origin probably the two most recent that were supposed to revamp the whole thing and it sounds like Maybe they're telling another origin story here, which I'll probably read it. It sounds, as I say, I like sexy and funny and smart and awesome and bright and cheery and dark and gritty and all that stuff. But do we really do we really need another Superman pseudo origin story that isn't really the origin story that's going on right now or doesn't apply to anything or or what? So I'm not really sure what the point of it is, but it sounds interesting enough. Hmm. Yeah, and Max Landis is a very controversial figure. Uh, obviously, he came out uh, a couple of years ago with that video where he spoke about Superman and nobody cares about him. It was very derogatory towards the character, but he seems to have um, a love for the character just in a different way to, that expresses it differently to, um, to than some people might like. But uh, it's given him a chance to work on Superman in a number of different capacities. And uh, here he is with this seven-issue miniseries. Uh, as you say, I don't know what the point of it is. Uh, maybe they're just giving a superstar artist or a writer or whatever a chance to do something that he's maybe pitched towards them. Uh, it's out of continuity, so maybe fans who aren't happy with what's going on with the current comic books might latch onto it and see it as something that uh, Superman that they can read and that they can like, um, much like the Superman uh, Lois and Clark uh, comic book miniseries that's also coming out around the same time by Dan Jurgens. A lot of fans are looking forward to that one. So this just may be another avenue where people can uh, get their Superman fix if they're not that keen on what's happening in the main books at the moment. Now, before people snap to judgment and say, Max Landis, you know, he clearly hates Superman because of that video or whatever, and I have no proof to support this in terms of where this article is or whatever, but I seem to remember there being a lot of controversy from Superman fans when he released that, that clearly he was a hater, clearly he didn't like Superman, clearly he was making fun of something that we all kind of grew up with and that Superman fans really appreciate and were very hurt by his statements. I think he came out right around that time kind of like Weird Al when he says, I only do songs because I love them. I love music. I love the artists. I mm. love the songs that I parody. He made a parody video that was meant to be funny, which a lot of times those superhero cafe videos from, uh, you know, that we, that we see the where Batman and Superman yeah. are at the coffee table or whatever, um, 
it's a it's a goof on that. I mean, that's not how those characters act, but it's very funny and it's clearly loving, and they clearly know a little about the characters. And I think that he came out and said, "I love Superman. I'm 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 sometimes a little saddened that he's kind of uh, been pushed aside and that he's kind of not that popular anymore and that sort of thing." I seem to remember some of that uh, from then, but again, I can't substantiate it. Actual quoted article like the one we talked about before, but I thought I remember him coming out and saying, "I do because I love that mm. kind of a thing." Yeah, no, I think so. he did. Uh, I seem to recall that too. But um, nevertheless, it will be interesting to see what his take is on this uh, origin story for Superman in a seven-issue uh, run. Uh, looking forward to it. As I say, comes out first issue November eleventh. But for comics that have come out this past month since we last recorded. Uh, We'll move on to discussing those uh, one by one. And uh, in late uh, June, July, July, we had uh, Superman number 42. And in this one, uh, Superman, uh, Lois finds out Superman's secret identity as Clark Kent uh, when he's uh, battling these uh, solid shadow uh, creature things um, and kind of reveals himself and she tears off his costume and... Uh, there seems to be a, a lot going on in this in this comic, but it seems to happen in a way that's really kind of disjointed and it feels r- rushed in a way. And I I just didn't understand Clark's actions in this. Uh, if he's still trying to hold on to his secret identity and just goes in, you know, jumps into the fray and has his shirt ripped apart and then reveals it to Lois and the way he reacts and she reacts and the sitting on the bus conversation, he seems to you know, think that she's going to be all good about it. And she's like, you know, you've been lying to me. And, you know, I thought you were my friend. And, you know, and it just seems that both characters seem to be out of character. Well, whereas last month I was nothing but praising of the truth arc. And I loved where it seemed to be going. And I loved what was happening. And I loved the idea that we were going to be shown why Lois and Diana decided that they had to reveal Clark's identity to the world. Because Lois said that she talked to Diana about it and that they made the decision. And if he only understood why, he would you know, not be so angry and that sort of thing. And I loved how he was protecting the people even without powers. And I loved all that stuff. And I also kind of liked the cliffhanger where he was in the car. I am not. I I haven't enjoyed the Superman books. Uh, with uh, I, I've made it clear with J.R. J.R. But I also think they're very, as you say, disjointed. I don't think the storytelling is 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 very well. I I, I don't think it's done particularly nicely. I don't think it's cohesive, and I don't think that it's a great story. I hate this magical realm they fly to. I hate this flying, disappearing bus. I hate these people that are up there. I hate everything about it. And I do think that they dropped the ball a little because I thought it was very dramatic at the end of the last one where uh, he took some bullets and everyone was like, Clark, Clark, oh my God, Clark. And it ended kind of like to be continued. Clark's been shot. And we know that somewhere at some point, uh, depending on the continuity we're in or the time period, because it's everything's jumping around. We don't know when he lost his powers, why he lost his powers. We don't know when Lois revealed that he was super. We don't know if she knows already. I couldn't remember where we were when this story started, if Lois had already revealed that Clark was Superman or not. Now, obviously, through reading it, I realize that this is back in time again, mm-hmm. uh, where she hasn't yet revealed it, but... We've already seen her go to his hotel and apologize for revealing it, and we've already seen her yell at him for being mad that she revealed it. So the whole thing is very confusing, not just the Superman book, but the the way they decided to go about this as opposed to her finding out, her revealing it, 
him losing his powers, him being upset about being revealed, the world, you know, every book is coming from a different time, and some of the books go back in time from month to month, so it's very confusing. I don't understand why they did it this way, but okay, I like a mystery. Let's find out what's happening. Unfortunately, like with the Men of Tomorrow arc, you talked about being released in graphic novel format. The story just isn't that good. It has the makings of something that could have been good but it just isn't told that well men of tomorrow went nowhere it wasn't a great story when it was all said and done it kind of fell flat at the end it had some concepts in it that seemed like they could be something but then they weren't and now you have this this concept of a throwaway world in space somewhere that you fly to on a bus uh and you have lois uh immediately yelling at him for being shot in the car because he's clearly been lying to her it just—I agree with you. I, I did not like uh, the way it went down. I didn't—I didn't think the story was told particularly well. I think the only, it should be a huge moment. It should, it should be like, be. you know, wow, you were shot, but you're fine. Or you know, uh, he was—I guess they everyone assumed he was dying at the end of the last book, or that he had been shot. You know, I'm also still peeved that there's some story somewhere out there in the ether where he's in the jungle with people he thought he could trust that then stabbed him because he doesn't have his powers and that's kind of just been left and now we have another case where he's been shot and he doesn't have powers but then as soon as we start reading we see that they don't even continue from there they continue from after that car ride's already done and he's seemingly fine and now lois knows the secret and it just seemed like a huge missed opportunity for drama like uh, i don't know and uh i think the biggest uh, interesting thing about this is uh, this particular issue is this grey character that uh, appears as Superman's doing his super flare solar flare thing and um, obviously messes with Superman's power, powers, taking away, uh, destabilizing uh, his you know power levels or what it is he's doing. But uh, this is obviously the reason why Superman now in all the other books is depowered, doesn't have his full you know, a complement of powers, can't fly, is vulnerable, is bleeding, can be hurt, and doesn't have x-ray vision, doesn't have super hearing, all these other things, is because this mystery character appeared at a time when Superman was expelling all his powers in that solar flare that usually only takes 24 hours for him to uh, recuperate, but in this case, because uh, someone's messed with him while he was doing the super flare, uh, it's uh, caused his powers to uh, be on the fritz, and uh, I guess that's probably the biggest revelation and most interesting thing about this particular issue. But also kind of just thrown aside and just there, not really yeah. made a big deal out of, which maybe that's what happens in real life when something happens to you. <laughs> you know, it's not like big dramatic, dun, 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 dun. you know, yeah, they don't yeah. put a big spotlight All on it, but it just seemed like it kind of just was thrown away and, and just kind of happened. And then the book just ended. And mm. uh, yeah. maybe it'll be dealt with in Superman number 43. Can't wait. <laughs> Action <laughs> Comics number 43, uh, on the other hand, has the uh, story, as we know, it's further down the track from the Superman title, where Superman has confronted and uh, punched out at this antagonizing policeman who uh, is threatening all the people on the street where Clark Kent lived and, uh, you know, kind of pressed Clark's buttons, trying to get him to lash out and, you know, hit a, hit a cop. And he's done that, but in doing so, the cop has revealed himself to be one of these uh, shadow characters that seem to be uh, behind everything that's going on here and seem to be a, a lurking threat uh, throughout all the books. 
And uh, this Sergeant Bingham, Binghamton is now revealed to be a shadow creature. And the other policemen on his police force start doubting him, start realising that, you know, Superman isn't the bad guy here. And uh, it's kind of the aftermath of, uh, of that circumstance. This story also completely went a different way than what I thought was going to happen. And I guess that's good because you don't want to be able to know everything that's going to happen. But I was praising it last month. I did a great Scott on it. I loved the idea that he was standing up for the oppressed. And even though he didn't have powers, he was going to hold the chains and protect these people and stop them from getting tear gassed. Here's what I did not like about this book most. And, And that is I didn't like that through the entire book, not only through Superman's perspective, but through the perspective of of other people. Jimmy Olsen uh, stands out. He was wrong in punching that guy. And they were like, what did you do, Clark? Oh, my God, now you've done it. He was stopping a child and a whole crowd of people from getting tear gassed by an oppressive police force that shouldn't have been doing what they were doing. Sounds like Superman to me, but they now, the writers, have decided to play it off as a big mistake Superman made. He's made mistakes before. He'll make mistakes again, and even he questions why he did it. So what? Uh, Like Jonathan Kent says in Man of Steel, he was just supposed to let those people be tortured? Maybe. No, not maybe. Superman did exactly what he should have done, and in my opinion, the story should have continued along that line. Secondly... They made a big deal about this Binghamton goading him into hitting him and that that's what he wanted. And it seemed like the story was going to go down the track of, see, we can't trust this Clark Kent Superman Mm. thing because now he's punching cops on the street who are just trying to do their job and protect the people. We have this on video. We see him doing it. Uh, Binghamton's got a broken jaw now, whatever. Instead... It makes absolutely no sense because at the end of that book, Binghamton says, ha, 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 you finally did exactly what I knew you would do. But then he turns into a shadow creature and everybody on Earth knows that they're all evil and know that the police force is evil. And, and justifies Superman's force. actions. Exactly. So I don't know why he would want him to hit him when he was going to – if he was going to do that, he could have just done that anyway. Superman hitting him had no effect on whether or not – People trust him. Right. So I don't know what – the whole thing was about that's exactly what I wanted. Ha ha ha. Now you're going to be, that's what it seemed like they were doing. And again, they, they throw us a curveball, and that's not the way it goes. And sometimes that can be good because it goes away. You don't expect, but here it just makes no sense that it went that way because mm. then there's no justification for the Binghamton character wanting him to do that in the first place. Yeah, I understand totally where you're coming from. And, and it's, you know, like, uh, Jimmy went, Oh wow. It was one of those shadow creatures. Oh, you know, did you know all along Superman's like, uh, no, I got lucky. It's like, <laughs> yeah, really? Yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so, the, I mean, Binghamton was right in goading you, but uh, the revelation that he's a shadow creature is just potluck. Right, right, right. So it seems Great. weird. I but, think he has no powers. He can't see through yeah. that. And, but but, but what, what hurt me the most, I think, is that Jimmy was disappointed that Superman hit him. What yeah. was he supposed to do? The guy was gassing little children. Yeah, on the street. Yeah. What is Superman? But even if it, even if he reacted with anger and emotion because Binghamton would dare do that, was he just supposed to let it happen? I mean, I don't know. I yeah. guess people think 
if the police say you should do something, that Superman represents authority and that he should just go along with that. But to me, that wouldn't be Superman at all. That's why I love that book so much last month and why I dislike this one so much this month. Well, there you go. So let's see uh, where Action Comics number 44 takes us. But we move on now to Batman Superman number 23, which is another story or different version, not a version, but a different uh, element of this truth arc. And this is the uh, situation that Superman and the uh, new Batman um, are up against these creatures from the subterranea. Superman goes down uh, into subterranea. Uh, I think the interesting element of this comic book was the fact that he takes on a secret identity and puts on the clothing of uh, of a, um, a, a dead um, subterranean, um, I don't know what you call him, officer or of some kind, and um, and therefore is. Uh, but the whole idea that there is these um, a group of Arkham uh, refugees, if you like, people who have escaped from the prison and have decided to uh, take up um, their allegiance with uh, Akur or whatever his name is, and decided that you know we're gonna. Uh, side off with him against the uh, you know above ground people, um, you know how I don't know what's going on there or how that seems to be the right thing to do or why they think that that makes them okay and um, so yeah I'm not sure where this is going or you know who whether it's interesting or not I just um, the only thing I really liked about it was that it was a funny. Um, or very interesting idea that Superman was taking on a secret identity again with this helmet and uh, costume. I like a number of things. I like that it continues what I liked last month, and that is that Superman is being Superman. He doesn't have powers, and he doesn't care. He's going into the subterranean to stop a war from destroying the world. Now, Ukur or Ukur or Ukur uh, says that it's Superman's fault that this is happening, and maybe he's right, but maybe he's not. And whatever the case is, Superman is now trying to stop it. He wants to broker peace, and he he thinks that we can share whatever this element is that they think they can use, while at the same time, Gordon wants to stop them at all costs and thinks that they're the ultimate villain, and maybe they are. When did Gordon get to be like a 25-year-old red-haired (laughs) mohawk-wearing Lex Luthor lookalike? I don't know. It's a very strange look for him. It's weird, right? Because wasn't Gordon like a white-haired, circle glasses with a mustache guy yep, yep. Uh, who, who, who <laughs> you know, wasn't in robotic Batman suits? Uh, I get that he's doing that now, but I don't, I, I don't read Batman, but no. I, 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 he's so young. I mean, Perry White's the same way in the, uh, in the Superman books. Uh, it just seems, it doesn't look like Perry, or, and he doesn't seem to act like Perry either. I mean, he does have that little white streak still. <laughs> Uh, but the car- obviously when they relaunched, it's only been five years or whatever, so everybody's a bit younger. Uh, but Gordon's way younger uh, and, and has a mohawk. It's just a weird look for Gordon. Um, but uh, I, I, I kind of thought the story was okay. I like My favorite part is the sequence where he's climbing down the wall mm-hmm. and he's talking about how – uh, the Justice League characters uh, are everything and he's nothing compared to them. They have all these great powers and he's just a guy, one misstep and he'd be dead and he should have called Diana for help or he could have or whatever, but he doesn't because he knows that some things uh, can only be handled by Superman, whether or not he has powers. And, and I like that. I like that attitude. I like that feeling. I like that thought. I like that whole idea that, no, it's not pride, even though he says, is that what it is? 
It's it's that he knows it wouldn't be handled the way he thinks it should be handled, which to him is peacefully and the way it needs to be handled, not not by coming in with a show of force and with all these great powers and, and, and you know, making something happen, but by going down there and being diplomatic about it and, and maybe maybe doing it in a more peaceful way. And so I like that and I find that to be very Superman like. Hmm. And the big revelation of this book is the last page where Aquaman is uh, seems to be uh, in cahoots with Akur, and uh, why Aquaman would be the champion of all these escaped convicts, I have no idea. Well, also, I, I didn't really think of it as that. I thought of it more as a champion of the people of Subterranea, which also makes little sense because uh, Subterranea is still an earthly realm, whereas Atlantis is under the water, and the whole thing where there's a conflict between what the earth dwellers do to hurt the oceans Mm. is normally where Arthur comes in. And I'm not sure where we stand in terms of Aquaman being in the Justice League and being friends with Superman and therefore helping to protect the earth. But it seems like now somehow he's ended up on the side of these under earth dwellers and now is going to be. And and there was a mention in uh, Superman Wonder Woman 20, which we're going to talk about in a minute, where Superman says, um, Atlantis invading the uh, invading uh, the land or whatever. I don't know if that if he's referring to this and therefore that story takes place in the future from where we are in this story or, or you know far in the future or a few days ago Aquaman invaded or is this something else they were talking about? Uh, because from my memory in the Justice League books, Aquaman's not invaded and he's always been on their side. So I'm not really sure what that was about, but. Mm. Maybe it's just kind of one of those, they goad you into thinking it's one thing and then, uh, you know, it's like those cliffhanger things. You think that one thing's happening and then they pull the rug out from underneath you in the beginning of the next one and show you that, no, you actually misread what you thought you saw. (laughs) But we'll wait and see. Now we move on to Superman Wonder Woman number 20. And uh, Superman goes to the White House here to confront the president but instead finds himself uh, confronted by Steve Trevor. Yes, indeed. I felt like I was throwing another curveball here. Uh, At the end of the last book, it was a very dramatic moment. He was in front of the president at his desk in the White House, and and Superman, again, was doing what Superman needs to do. No matter who it is he's going to talk to, if he feels like something wrong is being perpetrated against the people of the Earth, he is going to step in and try to make it right. So it was great. He was going to talk to the president, and ooh, it was going to be super dramatic and you know super awesome that he would dare go there with no powers and confront the leader of the free world uh but then it wasn't (laughs) and they didn't even cover it it just was okay trevor i'm not gonna play any of these games i think that was the first Mm. line of the book um but weird again uh first of all it must be said that both with batman superman 23 action comics and now this book the art at least doesn't make you want to stop reading immediately like the superman books the art in these three books is very nice yeah, it's very good to look at. Each has a slightly different style, but it's clearly professional and clearly painstakingly detailed and done really well. Um, what I don't like is we revisit again. Um, you know, and Perry says it in another book, too. I, I didn't mention it, but it might be Action Comic. I can't remember which book it was where uh, oh, it was Batman because he mentions to Gordon, don't work with Clark. 
I hate this disdain that some of his closest friends mm, and mentors you. have for him now. Uh, I get it that people don't like the idea that you misled them, but it wasn't a betrayal. He didn't hurt you. It didn't cause your life to be destroyed. It wasn't like the opposite. He, you know, he was protecting himself, yes, but also everyone else mm -hmm. by being two separate people. And like he says to Trevor in the story, do you wear your uniform in the, in, in the shower? Uh, do, you, do you keep your gun strapped to you in, in the shower? You know, whatever it was, mm. the idea that when he's Clark, during some of his life, he's not telling everyone that he's Superman, but then he puts on his uniform and goes to help when he's needed, much like a cop would do or whatever. A mm -hmm. uh, cop has a regular life where he's playing volleyball at the beach in normal shorts and a, and a T-shirt, and he's not carrying his gun around while he's uh, digging spikes off the sand. So – I get I like all that what I don't like and 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 again you know it's a story that isn't ended yet it's the same thing we're going to find out why Lois did what she did how Diana was involved and what happened I imagine uh, you know Perry's going to come around but I I it's a very different character from what I remember pre new 52 where he was very uh, very much like a father figure he was somebody that the reporters could come to and confide in uh, he was gruff at times but he was also very caring about his staff it wasn't like they were just people that were hired or whatever and he does say in this story somebody i thought was my friend betrayed me and uh you know that kind of thing but it it bothers me that that's the way they decided to go instead of uh the people that he was closest to saying i'm sure he had his reasons and listen he has saved all of our asses more than one time i think we can let him slide on something like this which mm. was also meant to save our asses and to protect people. Uh, same thing with Lana. I mentioned this months ago. Uh, and then, of course, we find out at the end of the story that Wonder Woman is working with the government to um, interrogate these people by using her lasso of truth. Um, Did, is she working with the government? I got the opinion. Uh, I got the. I got the. Uh, the feeling that she was while Superman was confronting people in the Oval Office that she was going behind the scenes with him. Uh, for him to find out where all these people had been kidnapped, like her, her parents' graves, all those kinds of things, all the people that have been captured uh, because they were associated with Clark Kent, and she wanted to find out the, you know, uh, you know who they are. And, but then, yeah, maybe in the background that is what is somebody in the background. So maybe they are being interrogated by the government. I don't know. Well, it seems like they're leading us one way. She's going there to rescue them while he uh, talks to the president. But then at the end, the big reveal, the final splash page, is that she's got Lois wrapped up in the lasso. And Lois is saying, let's get this over with. Because Lois, is, uh, Wonder Woman, is asking each person what they think of Superman or whatever. And there's a couple other agents in the room. Hmm. Uh, I'm sure she's got her reasons, too. But uh, we, we, because of the lasso of truth, we hear Lana once again say that she's disappointed in Superman because he didn't save her parents. And I thought we were over that. I thought she had already apologized to him for being so hard on him and, and understood that he couldn't be everywhere and that this was one of those times that he wasn't there. I get that that, that, that doesn't mean you're, you're, you can ever bury that completely. And if that's the way you really feel, it's a selfish way to feel because that implies that someone who is a hero and who has ever rescued anybody should always be there anytime anybody ever needs rescuing at any point and that there's no possibility and that there should be no explanation and there can be no excuse why that same person wouldn't be there every single time somebody else was threatened even if they were busy saving something else 
doing something else on another planet, in another universe, in another galaxy, or busy turning into a doomsday monster. doesn't matter. That person should always be there to save my parents because mm. I'm selfish and that's just the way I feel. And as a human being, that may really be the most realistic portrayal of somebody who had a super friend who should have the ability to save anyone around them who did not do so. But it still bothers me every time I see it. And again, I thought we were over that. And again, it breaks my heart to, 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 to see Lana saying that. Again, very different Lana Lang than what I remember pre-New 52. There have been many different versions, and there have been times where uh, she's been the insect queen or the mm. bee queen or whatever she was. But she always was this person who was in Clark's life all the time and was very trusted and knew his secret and was a great friend of his and even loved him. And uh, it just seems very easily forgotten in exchange for being with John Henry Irons and talking about how he failed her and should have saved her parents and, and all that stuff. And, of course, the, you know, I get the dun-dun-dun moment that we, we need to see that what is Wonder Woman doing? Is she working to interrogate these people? Uh, but she did break into the glass. So I'm not sure exactly what's happening there, but she's mm. definitely asking them what they think about this new Clark. And maybe she's doing it for the benefit of the people who are wondering what the people think. And that's why they're in the room. Like, here, see, this proves that they don't all fear him. Mm. Uh, they see him as a friend, and some of them were let down by the fact that he kept this secret. But they all know that he's a protector of the people, and he's not somebody that we need to be afraid of. I don't know. Maybe that's where it's going to go. Yeah, but those are just some of the thoughts I had there. No, that's very cool. So uh, we'll wait and see again where number 21 takes us and where, whether, what side of uh, right or wrong Wonder Woman falls on in this particular uh, story or uh, element of the story. Before we move on to the big question segment of the show, I was uh, very excited this past month to hear that Gwenda Bond, the author of Lois Lane Fallout, the young adult novel that uh, I read and thoroughly enjoyed, uh, is writing a second Lois Lane novel called Double Down, and it could be the second of a series of Lois Lane books. Uh, I uh, got to interview Gwenda on Radio KAL Live a couple of weeks ago with Michael Bailey, a uh, lovely lady who's a, a, a big comic book fan, big Superman fan, is absolutely thrilled that she gets to write Lois Lane and uh, seems to be really invested in the character. And it's exciting things, that exciting times that we get to see, uh, you know, Lo Lois Lane novels, uh, any kind of books, for young people to read about uh, Superman characters. Clark is involved in the story in a, in a very interesting and intriguing way, and uh, it's exciting that uh, there will be more of these Lois Lane books coming out, uh, this next one in May 2016. Awesome. I didn't read the first. I know it's a, a young reader's novel, so I didn't really know that it was for me, but uh, I do like that it's being done, and I do have two young uh, daughters that, that I hope someday will somehow show an interest uh, in my interest of Superman, and, and if that's through Lois Lane novels or Lois Lane stories or the DC bombshells or the animated thing that's coming up soon, whatever it is, I do like the idea of, uh, you know, the Supergirl show. Uh, my youngest daughter was excited about watching more of that, so I like the idea that we're maybe getting daughters involved and mm. girls involved, and and, uh, and then I think that's great. Yeah, so looking forward to Lois Lane Double Down out May 2016. Uh, Lois Lane Fallout came out May 2015, so if you haven't read it, get out there and read it, because it's not just for young adults. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it, uh, as did my 14-year-old niece, and 
Uh, and a lot of other guys that I know of my age who've read it, uh, it's not just for young adults. Uh, it's for adults and, and people of all ages, so definitely worth reading. All right, let's move into our big question segment of the show. Let's start with the big question. Last month's big question was, what do you like about the Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice Comic-Con trailer, and what's your least favorite thing about the trailer? And we have our first response in Hector, who wrote, I like Wonder Woman. She looked great in her costume. I'm happy in how she looks. My least favorite is Jesse as Lex and that stupid hair. <laughs> yes, a lot of people commenting on Lex Luthor's hair in Batman uh, Batman v Superman. All right, uh, Giles Savage Jr. wrote, uh, The thing I like the most is the fact that we can see that Man of Steel matters. We can see that the Battle of Metropolis is central in the trailer. And this even event, which was not well received by everybody, is the start of the Justice League. Very interesting. Also, I was very happy to see One Woman in action. Congrats on your show. It's all, it always puts a smile on my face. Oh, thank you, Giles. Yes, thank you. David Landon wrote, I'm relieved to see that the movie will portray Batman's antagonism towards Superman as misguided. I'm glad they're not doing the Frank Miller Batman is infallible thing. However, I must point out that Captain America's Civil War will be touching on many of the same weighty issues as this movie, but will still have room for levity and fun moments, whereas BVS looks to be two-plus hours of unrelenting grimness. I wish I understood why Zack Snyder and friends think it's wrong to have fun at the movies. Yeah, I guess there's time for fun and there's time for levity, but, um, you know, if with weighty issues being uh, touched on, as you say, if Captain America Civil War is touching on the same weighty issues, but then they want to put in levity and fun moments, then doesn't that kind of, isn't that disingenuous towards the, the gravity of the issues that they're facing, if they're joking about it? Well, I've said this a lot. You know, I love the Marvel movies. I think they're a lot of fun. I think that there's a lot of jokes, and I think it's kind of goofy at times. But the action's great, and they're fighting supervillains. But at the same time, uh, we've talked about this before, at the end of Avengers, uh, tons of buildings fall down. Lots of people are killed. But the final scene is them uh, uh, getting um, a shawarma and joking and laughing around a table minutes after the entire city is destroyed. And yet in Man of Steel... When a similar thing happens, all we get is how terrible it is. And I think that's because the DC universe, I talked about this before, is really kind of grounded in the idea that if in some reality there was a way that in the real world there could be super-powered elements, this is how it might go down. When buildings fall down and when people die and when terrible things happen, it's not necessarily a time for joking. There was some levity in Man of Steel, but no, it wasn't a Marvel movie, and it wasn't goofy, and it wasn't comedic. I'll say this, too. The Fantastic Four movie that was just released was not well-received at all, and people were kind of hating on it from the moment it was announced that it was being done, partly because I think they want it released by Marvel, and they want it in the pantheon of Marvel uh, movie universe films. But I saw the movie, and I thought it was really good. And the thing is, it doesn't feel like a Marvel movie. It's darker. It's more serious. It's almost horror-like in the way they get their powers. So I think a lot of people went in going, where's the action? Where are the superheroes? Where's the fun? Where's the laughing? And there isn't that. So it's very different. It feels more like a serious situation where things happen. And I think that's what's going on in the DC Universe movies as well, where, no, there's not a lot of room for levity. This is big stuff that's happening. Uh, so, yeah, I agree with Steve in that. Uh, it kind of cheapens that seriousness 
and the huge events that they're talking about when you go to have shawarma five minutes later. All right, we'll move on to Donovan Hunter, who writes, Besides everything, I love that it's 3 minutes 40 seconds long. I haven't seen a trailer that long since Avatar. It's one of the best trailers I've seen. I can't wait to see the final trailer. Thanks, Stephen Scotty, and keep up the great work. Thanks, Donovan. Yes, thank you. Patrick O'Neill wrote, My favorite part of the trailer was the great Superman imagery. The scenes of him walking into the Senate and being surrounded by all the people at the Day of the Dead Festival were very cool. My least favorite was when we hear Holly Hunter say the committee holds him responsible. The trailer makes it seems like they are referring to the damage done in Man of Steel. I'm not convinced that's what the committee is discussing, but if it is, I completely disagree with that. Keep up the great work, guys. Thank you, Patrick. Uh, Guthrie McLean writes in. He says, It looks amazing. So far, impressed by Affleck's Wayne, uh, looking angry and serious like he should. Superman looks like he really shines in the movie. It seems Bats and Supes will have two fights. It looks like one of the fights happens because Superman turns rogue at some point, leading Batman to stop Superman, possibly the climax. It reminds me of the Batman Beyond and the Batman episodes where Superman gets starred and turned rogue, all to make Batman the bigger hero. I hope that is not the same intention with this movie. Yeah, I didn't really get that feeling about the trailer. I didn't either. I did not think that that was going to happen. Uh, Some people have mentioned that. Uh, Maybe that's what's going on in the scene where he's kneeling in front of Lex or that he's uh, worshipping Lex or that he's some sort of bizarro version of himself. Uh, But I didn't didn't think that when I saw it. I just thought uh, Lex probably has kryptonite or that he's weak in that moment, and I never got the idea that they were going to fight because Superman went rogue. I I Mm. think that that would really hurt everything that we're trying to say wasn't Superman's fault. And if he does turn rogue and if Batman does have to stop him, that that's just going to destroy whatever chance we had of Superman being uh, trusted by anyone. Mm. So let's hope that's not the case. Uh, Jeremy Petrovich sent in an audio answer. It's a fairly long one, so sorry, Jeremy, but we had to cut it down a bit. Here's what Jeremy had to say. Hello, Stephen Scotty. I just wanted to take a minute, or a lot of minutes, and uh, tell you what I liked about Batman v Superman. One thing that I absolutely loved, and this I didn't notice this for the first few times, but when Superman walks into the courthouse and it shows people chit-chatting away, and once they see Superman, they stop what they're doing and they, they focus on him. And the next shot, it shows uh, the camera angle to Superman's back, and every eye is trained on Superman except one. And I'm assuming that's Mercy Graves. She's just looking straight ahead. She's just to the right of Superman. And I, I think that says a lot about her character. The other thing that I noticed is that Alfred is the, the voice of reason in this. I, I love that, that Alfred is, I, I guess, uh, supporting Superman. He's saying, you know, he's not our enemy. And I love how Lex looks absolutely confident in everything that he's doing you know he's facing off against superman i'm assuming he has kryptonite with him but uh, i i don't know there's a lot of things going through my head about where where this this show could go because for instance the the scene with the the soldiers with the superman symbol on their on their arms and they're kneeling to superman what, what's up with that 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 keeps uh blowing away my mind i don't know what's going on with that I highly doubt that they are, I guess, Superman sanctioned. Maybe Lex Luthor hired them to look like they answer to Superman. I don't know. This trailer shows a lot, but it doesn't show a lot at the same time. But yeah, thanks for letting me participate with with you guys and uh, uh, look forward to hearing more from you. Have a good one, guys. 
So there you have it. Uh, I think we've got the succinct parts of what Jeremy was trying to say. I've uh, tried to keep it under a minute or under two minutes anyway. So uh, thanks, Jeremy, for your audio answer. So what's our big question for this month, Scotty? Our new big question is, what is your favorite Superman comic book story of all time? Yeah, there's a lot of history, a lot of backstories to go through. Uh, I know there are some that pop out straight away to mine. Uh, one of my favorites would be uh, Superman for All Seasons. Um, but what is your favorite Superman comic book story of all time? Get involved with the Big Question segment of our show by using the Big Question feedback form found at the Superman homepage. You can send in your text answer, and Scotty and I will read those out in our next podcast. Or you can do as Jeremy did and send in an audio answer as an MP3 file, and we'll play that here on Radio KAL. What would yours be, Scotty? I probably really like the uh, Death of Clark Kent storyline the most. Oh, cool. um, I just thought it was a really cool way to uh, show him kind of feel like he has to give up on being Clark Kent mm. and uh, the whole um, conduit character yeah. I really enjoyed. I'd love to see him in another uh, medium at some point telling that story in some way. So uh, that would be the one. Cool. Very cool. All right. Let's move on to our comedy sketch. We continue with part two of the command performance of Superman with Bob Hope and Bella Lugosi from November of 1946. Yep, here we go, part two. Here's a cab, let's get in. This is the big story, I'll bet. What? I hope we get there in time. I can't hear you, Clark. We may get a scoop. For goodness sake, Clark, stop running alongside the cab and get in. (laughs) I'll pay the fare. Where to, mister? Straight ahead. I think we ought to turn left. Straight ahead. Yeah, but if... Never mind, straight ahead. Okay. Okay, take a left. (laughs) Oh, Clark, look. Look up on that building on the ledge of the 82nd floor. There's a man starting to jump. He changed his mind. (laughs) Clark, you've got to do something. I am. I'm quivering the best I can. Oh, but that man must be rescued. Oh, it's Superman. We're only here. She's right. This is a job for Superman. I'll do the job so fast she'll never notice I'm missing. Here's the building. I'll duck into this room and change into my Superman clothes. Okay, I'll try another room. (laughs) Now I am Superman. Now to the 82nd floor. Up, up and away. Oh, darn, forgot to open the window. There we go. Well, what do you want, Francie Pants? Don't jump, mister. Think of your wife. Got no wife. Well, think of your kids. Got no kids. Well, think of Paramount. Which Paramount? Okay, jump, you MGM spy, you... (laughs) Say, uh, who are you anyway? Everybody knows me. I'm brave and fearless. I'm the champion of the people, defender of truth, guardian of the underdog, and enemy of the underworld. Oh, I know you. I've heard your program. You have? Yeah, you're Mr. District Attorney. No, I'm Superman, and I'm here to save you. I'll take you off this ledge. But I've got to jump. You're here? I'm disgraced. 
I've done a terrible thing. A terrible thing. What'd you do? I put bananas in the refrigerator. <laughs> Goodbye, cruel world. Alas, he jumped. Mercy's sakes. I must dive down and rescue him before he hits the ground. <laughs> oh, brother. Get away from that window, you bees. <laughs> oh, well, back to work. <laughs> gotcha. Such a butterfingers. <laughs> oh, well, I'll catch him on the first bounce. Now I've got you. You're safe on the ground, thanks to me. Am I not wonderful? Yes. Hey, where are you going? Back to the ledge, and next time, mind your own business, you pet. <laughs> well, now to change clothes and get back to the cab before Lois notices I'm missing. After all, I've been gone two seconds already. Clark, did you see Superman rescue that man? I couldn't look. I closed my eyes. Oh, Clark, if only you were Superman. <laughs> Little does she know that I am me. <laughs> okay, driver, step on it. we got to cover that story. As the cab speeds to its destination, our scene shifts to a spot in the Hollywood Hills where we look in on a couple who will bear watching. Fresh. I guess that pair doesn't want to be watched So we move farther up the hills Where we look in on the workshop of the two mad scientists Dr. Bettini and his assistant Atho What awful thing is being hatched in this <laughs> What awful thing is being hatched in this closely guarded hideaway All right. Scalpel. Scalpel. Alcohol. Alcohol. Sponge. Sponge. Alcohol. Alcohol. Suture. Suture. Alcohol. That's enough alcohol. Is the experiment succeeding? Gee, it's moving. It has life. It is breathing. All right. Oh, you can get off the egg now. Oh, thanks, Chief. Now can I rest? It's so tiring sitting over a hot egg all day. Oh, you have been working hard. So I'm going to double your weekly allowance. Gee, you are? Yes. This week you get two pints of blood. After all, boy, you are smart. You have a head on your shoulders. Oh, oh, get it off! Oh, I... Pardon me, I, I see what you mean. Now we have to check the formula for our new machine. Oh, yes. Uh, well, gee, I'm so nervous. How does it go again? Uh, X plus Y equals three times the tangent of Z if O is nine corpuscles. I must have absolute wife to figure this out. Now let's see. Oh, those noisy king sister upstairs. I can't concentrate. But ah, you know what we can do with those girls? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Ah, I see. What can we do with it? You know, they look awful strong. I've got it. We will use them to test our new machine. Oh, mercy, yes. The machine. As soon as they start, sing again. We will sneak upstairs and corner them. Okay. Sisters, you, we've got you. Well, come on, Marilyn. Oh. <laughs> I've got you in my power. And I'm cruel and wicked. I will do horrible things to you. You will suffer. Suffer! Screaming for. Gee, you scare me too. <laughs> Golly, the King Sisters may be facing a fate worse than death. However, we have a request from overseas asking us to return to Clark Kent and Lois Lane in the speeding taxi cab. Since your wish is our command. Clark, shame on you. Always getting fresh. I'm sorry. Yeah, you had to get fresh. I'm really sorry. You really are? Okay, driver, let him back in. He won't tickle your ears again. <laughs> oh. Clark, if you were only a gentleman like Superman. Superman, Superman. I ought to tell her I'm Superman with the piercing vision, the X-ray eyes, a super-sensitive hearing. Oh, Clark, will you pay the fare? Huh? <laughs> I got the meter stub right here in my hand. Where? Listen, it's $2.50. Oh, I mean, hey? He wins. He wins, driver. I'll pay. Clark's liable to fumble around all day for the money. I am not. I'll give the money to him quick as a flash. There. Thanks, Bob. Okay. Well, Lois, wasn't I quick at a handing in the dough? I'll say it. Isn't every man is that good at finding things in a woman's purse? <laughs> So there you have it, and we will have part three, the final part of this long comedy sketch, Command Performance of Superman with Bob Hope and Bella Lugosi. Hope you're enjoying it so far. I think it's very cool to hear, uh, you know, you hear a lot of clips of Bob Hope. You see a lot of clips of Bob Hope. Yep. Bella Lugosi is just a very uh, kind of neat surprise to see <laughs> being involved. It's, it's neat. It's very interesting. I, you know, I think of him as some of the universal monsters and, of yeah, course, Dracula. Sure. But uh, being in this is, is kind of a neat, an interesting piece of entertainment history that I like uh, to hear about. Cool. But it's super secret soundbite time. Yeah. Only one thing alive with less than four legs can hear this frequency. Steve, where did last month's sound come from? Well, the sound that you heard last month, which we'll play again for you shortly, came from Superman the Animated Series, Last Son of Krypton Part 2. And to remind you, uh, just so you know where it came from, here it is again. Hi, nice to meet you. I'm Jimmy. I work as a copy boy, but I'm really a photographer. So uh, six people guessed that correctly, knew that it was from The Last Son of Krypton Part 2, and they were David Huang, Fred Walsh, Giles Savage Jr., Sergio, Donovan Hunter, and Patrick O'Neill. Congratulations to those six people. Good job. Now let's see if more people can guess where in the world of Superman this new super-secret soundbite comes from. 
Did you say kryptonite? Well, if you think you know where in the world the Superman and that sound came from, then use the super secret soundbite entry form found at the Superman homepage and send your entry in. Each person who guesses it right will have their name read out here on Radio KAL. I'm going to go ahead and guess now that it's from the George Miller-directed Man of Steel sequel. Ow. Could be. Possibly mm. not. <laughs> I don't know. I don't see how I could be wrong on this one. But yeah. uh, just so we don't get into an argument, let's talk about the Superman song. All right. Well, our song for this month uh, comes from the album Twice As Sweet from 1980. It's by the band called A Taste of Honey. And the song's title is Superstar Superman.
Well, that's our song and that is our show. I hope you got your disco down and your funk down and all those moves going. <laughs> Scotty, I can see you dancing there away in your... I'm, I'm doing the splits under my disco ball right now. Wow. Don't hurt yourself. No, don't worry. <laughs> he limbered up, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. I'll stand up later. <laughs> Just do that uh, carefully, please. Right. Now, um, that is our show, as I said. Now, if you uh, have a topic that you think that Scotty and I needed to discuss or there's something you think we need to be going on about here on Radio KL, maybe there's a song you would like to suggest, maybe you've got a comedy sketch that you think we should play, any suggestion, any feedback you like about our show, we're too, only too happy to hear from you. You can uh, use the KAL feedback form found at the Superman homepage, or you can send an email directly to me, steve at supermanhomepage.com, or to Scotty, scotty at supermanhomepage.com. And as I said, we're only too happy to hear from you to possibly use your suggestions in a future show. But for now, that is this month's podcast. Thank you, Scotty. Thank you, Steve. And remember, everyone, always look up in the sky. You've been listening to Radio KAL, brought to you by Superman Homepage and our proud sponsor, Patrick O'Neill.